What up, world? Welcome to another episode of Architects, where we speak to the architects of art, leaders of creative industries that shift culture and challenge the way we think and feel about the world around us. I'm Taj Critchlow, host. This week's guest is an incredible recording artist, singer, and songwriter. She's a proud Honduran Canadian, born in Montreal and raised in Edmonton. Her career began on YouTube, where she developed a massive following by posting covers she did of Nirvana, Radiohead, Nars Barkley, and many more. Despite the reluctance of her strict Catholic family, she abandoned the pursuit of being an English teacher to follow her passion, music. She started writing and recording her own original songs and has since come into her own as a truly multifaceted artist. She has released critically acclaimed music and has collaborated on several music video projects with Oscar-nominated director Jeremy Compte. And if that's not enough, today her YouTube channel has almost 2 million subscribers and over 300 million views. She's a full creative package. Her lyrics, her melodies, her production, and her visual sensibilities all tie together to create something truly elevated. I think of her in the same way I think of someone like Rosalia. Now, we're about to get into this interview with my girl, Daniela Andrade. But before we do that, I want to introduce my partner in crime, my co-creator of this podcast, Dean Rosen. Um, You might have heard him on, you know, this little interview we did with Kid Studio. That's my guy. And now we're about to do it again with Daniela. So again, check it out. Me and Dean Rosen having a cool conversation with the soul sensation, Daniela Andrade. So, Daniela, Honduras, Montreal, Mm -hmm. Edmonton. What do those three places mean to you? Um, Honduras is where... My parents were born and where they immigrated from. And Montreal is where they immigrated to and where I was born. So it's a part of my identity. And Edmonton is where I grew up. Uh, So that's where I discovered music. So I feel like that's where a big part of my soul is. Whenever I go back, it just feels like I never left. So in in terms of your music roots, speak to that. Because I'm just curious to know how Daniela, music... And this this huge warm soul of an energy you have that you put into your music. How did Edmonton inspire that? Because I would say you're always a product of your environment. So what was it about Edmonton and your surroundings that inspired you and you know to really push you into that into that direction? Edmonton is such an interesting place because there's not a lot to do. Um, So when you really get into your interests as a kid, I feel like you really get into it because there's nothing else outside of that that's really like engaging, at least from my experience of Edmonton. I grew up in a really religious Christian household and my parents made sure that I was in choir most of my life. So Throughout school, I was in elementary choir and then junior high, high school, I was in gospel choir. And that, I think, was like a really formative time for me because even though I only like sang at church, it exposed me to a bunch of different instruments and music. You know, my my gospel uh, choir director, Mr. Ford, just like a legend, like self-taught 
in love with music, really passionate about teaching the kids, you know, how to engage with the music, how to push themselves. And he straight up just told me that he believed that I was strong enough to be a soloist. And like, would, even though I had fears, he was like, no, you're, you're going to do the solo next weekend at church, you know, and he kind of pushed me to, to put myself out there. And I blame him for all of this. I've told him this before too. I'm just like, you changed, you changed my life. You literally changed my life when I was like 10 years old. You told me that I could sing and I needed to hear that, you know. But apart from that, I didn't actually listen to anything outside of church music until I was like 13, 14. So, wow. um, yeah, so the first band that I listened to is my best friend had this Guns N' Roses tape in her mom's bedroom. And we would play side A, side B, like the entire time we hung out for like the first few months. And then her brothers exposed us to like, you know, Daft Punk, The Gorillas, Metric, like whatever was going on in Canada. And that was kind of like my introduction to what was called secular music in my mind, you know, like just not music of church. And my mind was blown. I was like, this is amazing. And that was followed by Destiny's Child, which became my obsession, but I was not allowed to tell anyone about it. So it was like every time a <laughs> Destiny's Child, like I was watching a music video, I was just like, oh my God, I just got to watch this real quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that was Edmonton for me. And then I, I started to learn how to play guitar around that time, like 13, 14. Um, I learned about Jimi Hendrix and how he came up on the guitar, I read his biography, and I was like, wait, so you're telling me he had nothing? And he just started to like learn guitar by himself, did this crazy riffs, like got to Woodstock. Like I didn't, I was so inspired by his story. And yeah, that was kind of like one of the first times I felt really impacted by a guitar player that made me want to like get into guitar. So. That's crazy. That's mm -hmm. really, really crazy. The fact that you tell me Jimmy, and for me, um, you know, being a music lover myself, like Jimmy, as you know, has opened up the doors for so many Black artists in rock because it's funny because when you think about, you know, today's generation, they don't understand the history of, um, of you know, Black artists or just Black and brown artists when mm -hmm. it comes to rock and roll, right? And right. our contribution to the genre, us, the creators of the genre and seeing what Jimmy has done just as a musician, outside of him being the artist and the singer, but as a musician, the way he played and just watching Jimmy, the way he performs, like he kind of was possessed by his yeah. instrument. He was like losing himself in the moments. And that's what I love about, you know, musicians. And I find a lot of that in you as well. Like listening to your music and listening to your voice, I kind of like go off in this kind of dream sequence and have this kind of weird body experience when I listen to your music, which... Which is interesting because, you know, there's, there's only a handful of artists that do that. You think of like artists like Sade, uh, she has that same kind of feeling. Bjork has that same kind of feeling. Those artists like just kind of like take you on this kind of musical journey. And, and speaking about playing the guitar, you know, when I went down this rabbit hole to learn more about you, I didn't realize that your real big breakthrough was on YouTube, you know, doing covers. And what I love about it it's like, okay, it's 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 one thing to be like, hey, I'm going to do a Rihanna record. But it's like, you're doing Creep by Radiohead. You're doing Teen Spirit for Nirvana. You're doing, like, you were just kind of all over the place. So I'm just curious to know, like, what was your first, first, first cover? Yeah. 
Oh, man. The first song that I learned on the guitar was Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And that was the first cover that I, I played to my parents. Like, I was like, look what I just learned, this riff, you know? And I didn't end up posting it online, but I really fell in love with this YouTuber called Tara Naomi. She was one of the OGs, like the first music videos I saw on YouTube. Because back in the day, it was like literally animal videos and then musicians. And they had like… The, the YouTube page was so different. The format was so different. So I just really dug into her stuff. She was uploading like I think weekly. And a bunch of videos. And I fell in love with her song Say It's Possible. And it was just a, a video of her at home singing the song. And so I learned how to play it. And that was the first video that I posted up on YouTube. And um, all the other songs that came along… I just started to see that like… YouTube was a place where I felt like I could have this what felt like genuinely real connection with people. Like I developed some long-lasting friendships from those first years that I spent on YouTube because I really treated my page like like a forum, you know? Like I would reply back to people, I would message them whenever they gave me feedback. I was I would just really, you know, engage with them completely. And then when I started to upload a little bit more consistently, started to love all these different songs. For example, like the Gnarls Barkley cover. It was just a song that I I listened to like crazy when I found it. And I really needed to do a cover of it because I just loved it so much. And I don't know. I, I didn't like really limit myself in the sense of like I'm only going to cover like a certain genre. I just knew that I right. loved the lyrics and mm -hmm. they really spoke to me. And the guitar was just my instrument of choice. And I dabbled with the keyboard here and there. But all of the songs were really just organically like what I loved and wanted to reinterpret. But I was definitely discovering a lot of different genres. And like you said, the analogy of like a kid in a candy shop. I, I felt like that because <laughs> I didn't… I never heard these kinds of lyrics before. Like the only things I was really exposed to were, you know, like church music is very powerful. And I still really feel it. I think gospel music is one of my favorites still. But to like hear emotion being transmitted in a totally different way in these songs, like pop music, was a really powerful experience for me. You said you were listening to Destiny's Child in, in secrecy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Were your parents receptive to you taking up music and doing these covers or was, was there pushback at all? I think at first they'd had no idea what I was doing, but I just slowly started to like recede a little more into my bedroom. And I was like, I'm just filming these YouTube videos, you know? and. My mom kind of knew that I was like uploading stuff, but she didn't really understand what YouTube was. And when it actually became a full-blown thing, there was definitely pushback from my mom specifically. My dad's more like lax about, you know, just being whoever you want to be. But my mom was like, you're robbing, you know, your gift that the Lord gave you for, for something else. And it's been a big conversation between us, that's been, it's been really important in my life. It's definitely shaped like, it's shaped Tamale. Like it, it, that's what kind of led to Tamale because there's a lot of things um, from that time when I was trying to discover myself musically, I felt like I couldn't, like I couldn't fully assume these things that I wanted to talk about until I got a little bit older and had these conversations with my mother about why she would speak to me that way. Like what was it that, that, um, angered her about me not singing in the church anymore, you know? 
No, I, I get that. And it's, it's, it's funny you said that because, um, you know, my mother is a hardcore Christian lady as well. My mother's actually a singer too. Mm. Um, she was, she's been compared to like Mahalia Jackson, like one of the OG of OGs of gospel singers. And as you understand, like, especially when it comes to a strict, a strict religion or strict religion parents, they tend to be like, hey, this is the path, stay on it. And don't you dare step off of that trail or yeah. else. So I can understand that battle that you had. And it's tough because here it is, you got this amazing gift. And, you know, your mom's probably like, hey, man, God gave you this gift. Just keep singing godly songs instead of singing Narls Barkley and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and co-play and stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's crazy. But um, actually, speaking about your father, I read that you were studying to be an English teacher mm-hmm. and you're supposed to go to school and you abandoned that once you won this, uh, the sing competition. And funny enough, again, this is, you know, Wikipedia stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure it's legit. Be like, Toss, what the fuck you're talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. But, um, but from what I read, you and your father did this, uh, really cool cover of, of ABBA. Mm-hmm. And I, wa- I was watching the video and it gave me goosebumps. Um, and is it, chiqui- chiqui- is it, how you, how chiqui- you pronounce it? Chiquitita. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry for butchering it. No worries. Um, but it was such a beautiful duet with you and your father. And it gave me goosebumps mm-hmm. and you can see the, you can see it. Like you guys are singing, you're focused and your father's singing with you and he's having a moment while he's singing. Like he's looking over, he's looking at like, this is me and my daughter. We're singing, we're doing this shit, man. We're doing it, you know? <laughs> you can see the pride and he's glowing, but he's singing with you. And like, how was that? How was that moment for you? Like just singing with your father and, and having a moment with him like that for like, cause you know, I would say music is probably one of the most um, unifying things on this planet, right? Madonna says, music brings the people together, right? So like, so how was it? How was that whole moment for you? Like, talk to me about that. Yeah. Yo, my dad, he's a big inspiration for me. I mean, that's why the video ended up happening because I had to talk about who inspires me. It was a competition for uh, $10,000. And I was like, I'm going to get all the gear that I need to like really like take my YouTube channel to the next level, like get a good guitar, good mic, all this stuff. So I was really trying to just like hit this goal. And my dad is just like such a hard worker, but without fail, he'd come home and play the guitar every single night, just like super battered and tired from his construction job. And so I was always surrounded by his voice and his melodies. And that's a, that was the interesting thing about my household is that my mom's like super Christian, but my dad is just like a, the biggest romantic. And so he would sing these mariachi tunes. He'd sing these old Spanish tunes. And my mom would literally tell him to stop. She'd be like, I don't like when you play that stuff. Stop. Like, don't <laughs> play that in front of the kids. But my dad was just like, I'm just going to keep going. And um, singing with him, honestly, is like, still really, really special to me. And we do it every time we see each other because he has a karaoke machine. He has a guitar. He's ready. He's just like, we're, we're singing together. You're, you're coming That's back awesome. home. You're visiting. So that was really special. And it's still something that we talk about to this day because he was so willing to just, you know, put his story out there and be a part and be supportive. So I appreciate him for that so much. Yeah, that's awesome because for me, like, you know, I was raised by a single parent um, by my mom. And I'll be honest, like when I, t- when I told my mom, 
hey, I want to, I don't want to go to law school, even though I went to university, I got a BA in criminology and I was supposed to go to law school. And, you know, and at the time, you know, X and I were like, we, we met, I think my fine, you know, when I was like about to head out to school, finish school. And then X was just about to take off in his early twenties. He's like, yo, dude, I'm about to, you know, pop off now. Like, what's up? What are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm going to go to law school. Because, you know, my mom wants me to go to law school. <laughs> and then there's a part of me that's like, am I going to law school for myself or am I going to law school because I want to appease my mom? And, and that's what became the conflict because, as you know, our parents do so much, they sacrifice so much for us. And there's a part of us that we feel kind of obligated, right? Um, but then there's a part of me that feels like, well, God gave me a gift, right? Cause I'm like, I said to my mom, I had to come back to her with the Christianity stuff. I go, listen, mom, God gave me a gift. And my gift is to go out there and create and manage and just make some cool shit. Okay. I did my God's work by getting this degree. You can, you can go around, show it to all your friends. Woo-hoo-hoo! But right. the fact that, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. So I love the fact that your father is a singer. I love the fact that he's here singing these amazing love records and stuff. And it's just crazy. And just watching that moment just really gives context to like, okay, it's truly DNA, man. You know, it's truly the DNA that our parents pass on to us that kind of makes us kind of evolve into who we are today. So it's kind of nuts. So your mom, as much as she kicks like, mom, you know, your daughter, she's badass. Let it, let it slide. Okay. Let it slide. Okay. Yeah. Let it slide. Mom, if you're listening. Hey, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> At the and end of not, the day, yeah. my mom's like, all bark, honestly, because she's like the biggest fan now. She's totally come around. She get, kind of gave me this ultimatum. It's like, if you hit 24, 23, and you're still really confused, you can't like afford to like be an adult. She's like, please consider going back to school, you know? And okay. when I won this competition and um, I was about to go into, yeah, English, English literature, because I was planning to be an English teacher because I love reading and writing and stuff like that. I was like, if I don't do this right now, like, when am I ever going to do it? Like, if this isn't one of the biggest signs for me to just go for it, then I don't know what is. So I'm glad that I took that leap. It was really scary, but in the end, she totally came around and we were super tight. That's crazy. And I'm glad that you did follow your heart and follow your path because there'll be a lot of fans that'll be pissed off at your family right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right. That pressure, that pressure is tough. It's tough to like... Your parents are like, I don't know, especially having like a, a single parent, I can't imagine, you know, like if I, if it were just singularly my mom, if I didn't have my dad that was there to kind of ease off some of the tension sometimes, um, I feel like the journey would have also looked a little bit different and more intricate too, you know? Yeah, it's, 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 it's takes- scary, man. It's, 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 and it's tough because you understand like our, you know, like our parents are old school, right? They come from a place mm. where okay, what's a job? Either you have a trade or you're a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist or some bullshit yeah. like that. And that's no shots at people who are, hey, with all love and do, yeah. with due respect. But it's like, I also believe there's, there's, there's another path, right? I'm in my family. I'm the first person doing what I'm doing. And to my mom, it's foreign. She goes, what do you mean you're making music videos? What the fuck is that? That's not a law degree. How are you going to support yourself? Like, you know, and then, she, and the fact that I went to New York City to be my best friend's executive assistant as my starting point in the business. So wait a minute, I sent you to school four years, pretty much spent my life savings to get you this beautiful degree 
for you to serve coffee to your best friend. She thought it was the biggest fucking idiot that landed on earth. But guess what, mom? I'm popping bottles. I'm in New York City, drinking wine, talking to Daniela. So take that, okay? <laughs> Love you, mom. So moving along. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we spoke about how you broke through. We spoke about your amazing love for different music from gospel to rock to Guns N' Roses. Still one of my favorite albums, by the way, which, you know, we'll get into that ap uh, appetite, I think, for destruction, if I'm saying it right. Um, amazing album. Loved Axl Rose. Now, your, your taste in music is equivalent to your taste in visuals. And which we're going to get into later in this conversation. But I'm just curious to know, okay, here, I get your influence for music. But where the hell did you get your influence for the visual arts? Like, what did you grow up watching? Like, what kind of cartoons? What kind of TV shows? What kind of movies, like, really opened up your mind? I'm just curious to know, especially coming from a, a strict household. Were you even allowed to watch TV? Because I know X wasn't allowed to watch TV. His parents only had him watch TV on the weekends and weird shit like that. So, like, how did you even get that? So I didn't. Like, it was, I couldn't watch Anything that had, like, I, I was, I didn't participate in things like Halloween. I couldn't go to the cinema. Like, I couldn't go watch movies. I couldn't watch TV unless my parents weren't around. So then I'd like watch SpongeBob and The Simpsons, and I'd have to turn it <laughs> off immediately when they came back home because I was like, I can't watch this stuff. But um, that's that's again the thing. I'm actually so grateful for that experience because I feel like things hit me so fresh when I was a teenager. Like I was like, mm. wait, excuse me. Like this is what you can create. I, I was so impacted. And I think that when I went back and I was thinking about like the things that I liked, the music videos that I loved, like Gwen Stefani, Beyonce, Destiny's Child, Lauren Hill, like these were hey. music videos that like I just like burned in my mind. Like I still have them on my mood boards. Sometimes I'm just like, I just like this emotion, something that's conveyed here in this shot. I really want that, you know? So I feel like it came mostly from music videos, to be totally honest. But I didn't quite understand, like, the effort that was put into that stuff until I finally made my first music video with um, Jeremy. And he really explained to me, like, what it took to make a music video. And he involved me in the process a lot. And we ended up making, like, six music videos together. I think it might be six or seven. And through every single music video, he allowed me more and more space to be like, all right, so what's the concept here? Let's be really collaborative about it. So then I was able to, like, be able to build uh, more treatments and actually understand what building a mood board for lighting or mood board for styling or mood board for, you know, specific shots or movements that I wanted. Um, so that was like a, a big learning experience over the last five years. And now when I make music, I think about the music video as I'm making the song sometimes. I'm like, oh, I can totally see the character, which might be me or somebody else in the music video, taking this action next. Or maybe they're turning a corner. What happens there, you know? And sometimes that happens when I'm making the song or right after I make the song. I'm like, I know exactly what I want the music video to feel like, you know? That's amazing. And which, which leads me to... Um, you, you know, you got this cool award from the Prison Prize Awards for high fidelity. And, and that whole acknowledgement is awesome because it speaks to what you just talked about, right? You're an artist that figured out how to tie in to the uniqueness of branding yourself and bringing your lyric and melody to life. And 
that's why I got really excited about working with you because you really tap into that. You truly understand the power of how to push visuals and you don't play safe. You just go there, right? You, you go all the way in. And, and, and for me, it's like, I respect that so much because, you know, you're, as an artist, it's our duty and jobs to push boundaries and to push the narrative. So your collaboration, which has been a really, really awesome thing with you and Jeremy, talk about that. Now, how did you guys meet? <laughs> like, how did, that, how, did, how did that whole thing come about? Because like, I think Let's we should say quickly, talk about the, for yeah. yeah, for those who don't know, Jeremy's your, your partner, right? Yeah, Jeremy's my partner. Yeah, filmmaker. He's been nominated for something called an Oscar. Apparently, that's a yes good award. Um, <laughs> I, I heard. think so. Yeah, um, it's kind it's of a funny. big deal. I, yeah, I first heard of him. I studied at McGill, and they oh, had a gosh. entertainment management conference where essentially it was you know it was two days of panels, and it was all people from the entertainment industry, and that conference kind of opened up my eyes to the potential of, of working in industries like, you know, where we work now. And Jeremy was a speaker there one day and, um, no way. and yeah. And he, he told some really great stories and anyway, it comes full circle, but it's yeah. Crazy. How did you guys meet? Um, you know, you, you've worked on countless videos together and I think you, you guys have developed your visual and creative identity together, right? Yeah. Definitely. We met because I was looking for someone to direct my first music video. I knew that I wanted to stop doing covers and work on original music. And it was like my first EP that I'd ever done where I composed the songs and then brought them to a producer, like one producer to just like turn them into something else. So um, we make them a bit fuller. So I was finished the EP and then my manager, Jeff, he sent over some links of different directors and one of Jeremy's music videos was in there for this guy called a River. And I think he shot the music video in Italy while he was shooting something else. He just kind of like took the opportunity to shoot this on the fly. And that sent me in a wormhole of Jeremy's stuff. And I watched his documentary, Paths. And I just found myself crying from that documentary. I was like, whoa, like he has really, really strong uh, sense of narrative. And for something as simple as I think the concept of Paths, I just felt really impacted by that. So we reached out, we met up for coffee and it was me, him and Jeff. And I was really, really nervous. I remember just being really, I didn't know what to say to a director. First time meeting a director, I didn't know how to like even have the vocabulary to say, this is what I envisioned for the video. So I gave Jeremy completely free reign. I was like, just take this and let me know what concept you come up with. And that was the beginning of our collaborative relationship. And it turned into like a four music video situation because I actually ended up messaging him and being like, what if we kind of told like this interconnecting story? And then he was like, are you kidding me? That's like a dream. He's been wanting to work towards making a short film, right? So he really wanted to do something long format. And he just has like this ability to really tap into what an artist thinks and feels like I've never I think that Jeremy has this thing where he just he has this way of leaning into conversation and like leaning into people when they speak that is very genuine I think he tries to capture the essence of people and I don't I really don't think I'm biased I feel like he would do an incredible job for another artist that he would tap in with you know so I genuinely feel like 
it was because of that special energy that he had that he not only provided the space to hold my ideas, but also he was able to just very like, I don't know, with a lot of tact, he, he's been able to teach me a little bit of the reins of music videos and just be like, please go off on your own and like fly away, you know? And it's, it's, he's very giving. <laughs> he's very generous with like his spirit, you know? And I, I'm so grateful for that because that's what led to Genesis, which was like one of my favorite music videos we worked on together, which was just the two of us. Um, and we went to Mexico and we just shot that on film and he was the DP and um, we just, it was just the two of us. And it was so fun. And I feel like that was like the biggest show of trust between us visually because we ended up really really liking the outcome of that one and we keep we always talk about it we're like we're gonna do something else that's like that where we just both have complete full control and and you know explore well it's funny you said genesis because for us like dean and i were talking about that video particularly how beautiful it is and you must have shot that video for like a couple days, right? There's no way you shot all that shit in one day. Cause like mm-hmm. you're at the wrestling match, you're at these beautiful, you're at the yeah. church and you're at this real foresty, magical oasis and you're in the trees. Like mm-hmm. it was, I feel like everything was like real moments. Mm-hmm. And and then even even like the, that shot where you're at the top, you're, you're at this kind of top balcony and- That shot's one of my favorite. It was a complete accident. Like we had, we were missing one more shot. We knew we wanted one more zoom shot. And then I was wearing this orange outfit and we found an orange building. And like, I, I like kind of just climbed up these stairs, basically broke in and was like, this girl found me. She was like, hi, can I help you? And I was like, can I just use your balcony for like, 10 minutes. I'm like, the sun's about to go down. Just 10. She was like, let me remove all this laundry. She was so down. And I was just like, (laughs) I was like, no, leave it, leave it. It's one of my favorites. It was like a magic moment. But yeah, that, that video was, um, was shot in Mexico and it was over a span of a week and a half. And the, the magical garden place is in a place called Gilitla. And it was like a 12 hour drive and a crazy story because we're not allowed to shoot in there (laughs) we're not allowed to shoot in there and so like jeremy actually ended up shaving his beard uh because we went one day and they rejected us and we drove 12 hours just for this spot and we had sent like a request to be able to shoot there and it was just the two of us and a fixer that we had and they rejected us we came back the next day jeremy shaved off his beard he put his hair in a toque and like tried to look like a totally different person it was like (laughs) it was really really funny and we pretended we That's were not amazing. together. And I was just like, I'm just, I bought a map and I was like, I'm just going to walk around. <laughs> it was literally wow. took like an hour or two. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really funny. So you guys went in there like, you know, like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and like went into like, you know, some, um, some James Bond shit. Like that's some, that's some badass shit. And that's some hardcore filmmaking shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what made that video uh, a labor of love piece because just watching that video, like you can feel the emotion. That's always been the thing about your music and your visuals, Daniela. Like every time I watch it, like I just fall in love with what's happening in the story and the visuals. Like everything is like perfectly fit. Nothing feels out of place. Everything feels planned and it's meticulous and it's purposeful. I want to talk to you about this other crazy video, which I fucking love. Yeah. Uh, Polly Pocket, which I felt like I popped a lot of pills. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, it was literally I felt watching that video. It was such a psychedelic trip, mm-hmm. and where it's kind of like 
this 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 continuous universe of you and you and you. It felt like I was watching a Japanese anime. I'm not sure if you <laughs> into anime, but there's yeah. this anime that you need to check out called um, Paprika. And oh, Paprika! Yeah, Paprika. Yeah. Thank you. I tell you, I butcher every name. By the way, um, no, no, no. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a film. It's a it's a anime film that you know, like Nolan. Uh, you know, he he borrowed from uh, for films like Inception and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it kind of gave me that kind of vibe where it, it's animated and you're eating yourself, and, and and then you're opening up this world and you're taking yourself out again, and and the bubbles at the end fucked me up. So talk to us, like, what was your inspiration? How did you get there? What was yeah. your thought going into that? And what was the, the the underlying meaning of the of the the visual narratives that you tied into that to that record? So like Genesis and Polly Pocket really feel like a tiny little era and universe for me because that's when I was starting to produce music for myself by myself. And I knew that I, for the next project, I really wanted to like learn how to produce on uh, on Ableton. And so those were the first kind of two tracks that I felt like I wanted to make a music video for. And Genesis, like what it stood for was, you know, this this evolution. But Polly Pocket, I feel was like, something that Jeremy and I brainstormed together, like really together. And we found inspiration together with from the strangest places. Like we were watching this documentary about silkworms in caves. And then there was a shot that looked so freaky and weird, like beautiful. But then the camera started to move into the cave and it was really ugly. Like these worms were like disgusting. And we were just like watching that over and over. Like that's so crazy that something can look so pretty because they would like glow in the dark. And then you get closer and then it's just really disturbing. So I remember that just kind of left us impacted with with this idea of like being swallowed down a throat. Um, and what if like I was swallowing myself and that's what would kind you would kind of feel like. That would kind mm. of like set us off a bit. But when he heard Polly Pocket, he was the one that was like, we need to make something to this. Like, I have an idea, like this concept of Polly Pocket. And we went off and like talked about the toy and the the boy's version of the toy. Um, And we were just like looking at it for so long. And I remember spending so many hours playing with my Polly Pocket when I was a little girl. And uh, we had this really uh, good friend named Nick Cabana that was... um, uh, in VFX, he's in VFX, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, like this this concept is completely doable," and it set us off on a really long journey of learning a lot about VFX. I think it was the first time <laughs> that we had ventured into that, Jeremy as well, and it is an art. Like I have so much respect for people that have the vocabulary to be able to explain what your concept is to a VFX artist, and for a VFX artist to really capture that. Um, it's a it's a chemistry, you know, and that taught me yet again that every single piece of a music video, anybody that you involve, sound design, um, the director, the DP, the assistant to the DP, it's like everybody plays a critical role in that shot being like amazing. And then in post-production as well, it's a it's a miracle. Like when I look at films now, I'm just like, this is a miracle. When I look at amazing mu- music videos, I'm just like, Heck yeah, like I feel so good for the entire crew. I'm like, you guys nailed that. So good. So Polly Pocket just like furthered that for me. When it was finished, finally, it took nine months to finish. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, we wow. were sitting We were sitting on it for a bit because like just like the, the cotton candy was so hard to like get the right texture that we wanted. And then the falling scene too was like really difficult. And we, there was a lot of work to be done, a lot of layers to get into. So... 
it almost didn't come out. Honestly, I was like, we, Jeremy and I both were in the blind with it. We were just like, what, what is this project anymore? You know, like we were st- we'd seen it so many times that we mm-hmm. couldn't even like see it anymore. You know, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It, well, I could tell, you could tell there was so much layers and so much thought put yeah. into that piece and it paid off. And, you know, it's sometimes, so you know, to your point, sometimes when you're so close to something, you do got to take a step back and just like yeah. reset your mind and kind of like, okay, what was the point of making this thing? And kind of <laughs> remind yourselves, oh, it's because of this. And then, hey, remember that thing that we saw, honey, with the worm shit? It's that yeah. shit we're trying to get on. Okay, back to the beautiful things for the crazy ass worms. Yeah, we're doing that thing. Exactly, exactly. It's a video about an evolution of myself. Like the, it's it's symbolic. Like the bubble scene where I'm falling at the end, and the, my clothing changes, and the room completely changes. It's like, for Jeremy, he's like, I feel like this is the start of something new for you. He's like, this is a new chapter for you. You're really going into your originals now because I was starting to write Tamale, and I felt like really connected to that both of us. And I was like, yeah, this is an important video. Just a catharsis for like both of us because he's really been there from the start like when I was just starting to like really get into all my originals and I think that's why Gallo Pinto like the story of my parents also was just like oh like that was like that was my heart you know that was my heart on the screen and the fact that we both just you know, really took the time to speak to my parents and have these long phone calls and make sure that we made the narrative as close to real life as possible. Like we took, my mom sent me all these old photos of when they first immigrated, their apartment. So we tried with the art director to really recreate the apartment that they lived in, really pick the same clothes that they were wearing in the photos and like the same scene. And just all of that attention to detail and the fact that like Jeremy really cares to go there, you know, be as genuine as that and like direct it that way. Um, I still like get so emotional thinking about it and when like I watch it I'm just like wow like the, I, I feel like it was such an important chapter um, for Tamale you know and just for like processing for my entire family like they all talk about it too like my siblings are like I didn't even see our immigration story like that because they were left behind in in, in Honduras and they're like it's so true like mom and dad must have felt a kind of way you know when they would call us and I was like Oh my God, it's just like the craziest conversations with my fam. So that's another beautiful thing I think that I feel really lucky about that I have this like art form to be able to just kind of introduce these conversations with the closest people in my life. Funny enough, I think Dean, that was the first video you showed me of Daniela when we're like, mm-hmm. when we, when mm-hmm. Jeff reached out to us for Tamale, which we'll get into, that was a video that Dean showed to me. And that's when I went down my rabbit hole watching that as the first video that was presented to me. Like, yo, she does dope videos. This is a big fucking deal. I'm like, okay, let me take it in. Let me let me feel the energy too, homie. Let me feel the energy too. And Thanks, when I watched it, it's like this is it was it's it was a film. It kind of reminded me, it kind of gave me that energy like Roma, you know, but it was like, like you said, like not knowing it was about your parents, it's mm-hmm. even trippier now because now that I'm hearing the backstory. It's seen your father and your mom in the church. Like now, yeah, it all your makes dad sense. Playing guitar. It all, it all, it, it all comes back full circle, and that's beautiful. Like you know, and again, the fact that we have this amazing art form um, uh, called music videos, where we could tell these stories and pay homage to our, you know, to your parents in a way to say, look, man, like just understand, like I, I am an extension of you. I'm a product of you. And and here it is. This is your story that I'm telling through song and music video. And now they're gonna look at it like, wow, like 
you created this time capsule for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Capturing a moment of their love. Shit, I got two kids, 12 and 8. Josiah and, and, and Matthias, y'all need to step up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> y'all need to make, I don't give a shit, draw a cartoon, do fucking something. <laughs> or you're out of the house when you're teenagers. <laughs> so I know we've been talking about Tamale so much, which is great because that was our introduction to each mm-hmm. other, um, which is interesting because I remember listening to that song, which is always still my go-to song when I wake up in the morning. I don't know what it is. That song just kind of sets me in a vibe. I play that, and then I play D'Angelo Voodoo. I don't know why. I always play those Oof. two back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. It's kind of like my Taj, my Taj mix. Um, but let's talk about that video because what I loved about it, you know, for those, if you have seen it, and, and for those who haven't seen it, shame on you. Um <laughs> This whole concept that you're driving, you're driving around, you're like, you're like, you're like Denzel, you're like American gangster. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, is this girl like, is, is she selling shit? Okay, I see you, girl. And then to find out, wait a minute, that's not, that's not drugs. That's not kilos. That's food. So mm-hmm. talk to me about that. How did that concept come about? What's this, what's the story? What's mm-hmm. the concept? And I love, I love it. I love the sisterhood. I love the analogy. Um, I know that the food is a custom of your culture, which I get. Mm-hmm. Tamale was actually the first song that I wrote for the EP, and it kind of set the tone of the things that I wanted to talk about. And a lot of my memories as a kid, I don't, I can't, I don't think I have many memories of my mom outside the kitchen, to be honest. Like, she's not really a super outdoorsy person. She's like, if you want a good meal, come to my mom's place. Like, she's gonna serve you and your friends the best stuff. And she puts a lot of care and love into it. And as I got older, I realized, like, all of these, like, thoughts that I would have. Like, sometimes I get some of my best ideas doing, like, the best ideas that, like, I love doing the most mundane things like cooking. And so a lot of times, like I'm thinking about stuff, I get ideas for a song or like a video or, you know, just like my goals or whatever with cooking. And that was like a really interesting feeling for me because I, like I said, when I was a kid, I really just, me and my mom went at it. Like we just would butt heads all the time. So I think that I made this immense effort when I was a teenager to be anything but that. Like, I was like, I'm not going to be like, like, I'm not going to be in the kitchen. I'm not going to do this stuff, you know. And uh, as I got older, I just started to develop a different relationship with all of that. And my mom seeped into so many things that I did. Like, in Latin culture, there's just like, they're called bichos, like different different sayings that just kind of like stick with you. And my mom had this way of just like slipping in these sayings that— were burned into my mind and I would just think about them all the time. So um, she would share those things with me a lot when she was cooking. And me and my sisters would always engage in like cooking together with my mom. And we would actually sell tamales when I was younger because my mom would always send money back to her family in Honduras, which a lot of her family is still back over there. So we would do these big sales over the weekend uh, where people would come and pick up or we would go do drop-offs. That's where the entire concept came from was like if I were actually to get together with a bunch of girls and do drop-offs. Like, it literally just sounds like, you know, like, how do we spin that and and make it, like, really moody and interesting 
And I just wanted tamales to be like the main focus because I think that they're so beautiful. I think that the act of making tamales… And we really did have a chain like that going. Like I would put down the… You know, the the first part and then my sisters would put the toppings and then someone would wrap. Like that's actually how it works. Oh wow, like an assembly line. (laughs) Yeah, like an assembly line. And they're super delicious. And I just… I actually treasure those memories now. I used to hate doing it with my mom when I was younger. But now whenever I go back for Christmas and things like that… I just look forward to it so much because so much is exchanged over the table that is priceless. So I wanted to really highlight that moment. That's amazing, man. And and in this trip, you're telling us that because now again, you know, watching the video, like it was so fucking boss. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you were like, you're like Tony Soprano. Like, all right, girls, let's let's <laughs> let's let's get that bank. I'm like, okay, shit. Like, and then and when you're talking about delivering these uh, tamales, mm-hmm. like, was this before the whole Uber Eats like explosion? Because I feel like this is like some original shit right now. Like, you know, like. Yeah. I think I think Uber Eats owes you a check right now, dog. <laughs> but honestly, like I, like my mom has hustled so hard. Like when I was writing Tamale, I ended up calling her and being like, you know, I have this, I have this concept um, for tamales, and she laughed at me. She was like, "No way, you're gonna put tamales in a music video." She's like, "That's so funny." And then she ended up sharing with me that like when she was working in Montreal, she actually would make more money during lunchtime because she would bring tamales to work or she, and she'd bring all these like little snacks that she would make at home and she'd sell them to her coworkers because she said so many people would ask her like, can I try some of that? She would sell it. She was like, I would actually make more during lunch hour. So she started like her own cart. Like um, her boss at the time at the factory would like gave her her own cart to actually sell at, during lunchtime because everybody just ended up loving her food. And so my mom's just always kind of used this talent that she has with food to be able to, you know, just get shit done. Like she would literally sustain her family back in Honduras from this stuff. And it's just such a boss move, like just putting in that extra effort. She said she'd wake up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. and just do this extra stuff so that she could, you know, have that cash. I'm like, that's amazing. It's amazing. And that's crazy. And then and shout out, shout out to fellow director Justin Singer. Uh, Shout out Justin. He killed it. That was such an amazing… Honestly, what an incredible collaboration. Because Justin's like… When when I brought him the concept… And I was so nervous. Because it was the first time that I was like really bringing like… You know, a concept to somebody else that was in Jeremy. Because we'd definitely gotten comfortable speaking with each other. And Justin, it just felt like I'd known him forever. You know, he was like, cool. Yeah. Down. (laughs) I was like… That sounds like what? Justin. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say. So he's just a lovely person to work with. Really talented. I was gonna say, like, if you guys were to ever do a remix video, you know, you should have had your mom be the person that you de- you dropped a bag off at to- at the end. Like, oh shit, okay. Oh now she's God. the that's the godmother. Okay, she's you know, like, so you're Al Pacino and your mom is, you know, Marlon Brando. She's the godmother in it, you know. Um, but uh no, that's uh, that's yeah. awesome, man. I I love I love the way you continue to incorporate culture and and people and food and customs into your work. And there's a very thick love there and, and respect there. And it's it truly always shows that. And and I, I love that, man. And cause it's funny because when you're going back to the artists that you spoke about, you know, Destiny's Child, what 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 are they always pushing? 
Texas and their kind of thing. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Lauren Hill, like she's she's representing where she's from, right? She's she's mm-hmm. a she's a New Yorker, you know, she's got her <laughs> vibe. So like here it is, you representing your culture, your Latin, and and really, really incorporating your, you know, like here it is, Tamale with your mom with the cooking. And then and then the other video now with your with with your parents, like it's yeah. it's it's really awesome to see that you really um put that back in and that's awesome and that's just a testament to you being true not only to yourself but the things that really has that have raised you inspired you to be the person that you are today so kudos to you for doing that so we're ta- we're talking about your process um which you kind of spoke to us throughout the throughout the piece in terms of you know collaborating you know and co-directing now it's one thing to write lyrics and, and melody and song and and you mentioned that Jeremy has been a great, great support as far as really teaching you music video 101 and what each department means to art design, to lighting, to techniques and all that stuff. And even now, like you're now dabbling more in VFX more, you know, which is awesome. Like, you know, I was I was, you know, Dean and I. Uh, we're watching this video. Which video was it, Dean, with the with the with the ladybug going in her mouth? Uh, yeah. it, no, F, oh, yeah. it's off the new EP, KL- by the way, which is out. E- KLFG. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was not real, right? <laughs> no, not real, not real at all. Yeah, we, we were tried talking really about hard. it right before you got on. Like, was the ladybug real? I'm like, I don't know. The timing was too good. It couldn't have been real. Yeah. I was like, I was like, well, you know, like I don't know, Daniel. You got that kind of energy about you. Like, you're probably gonna get off the phone and le- you know, get off this call and start levitating and shit. You just got that kind of energy about you. I'm like, you're a fucking badass. You know, we need to talk films, okay, Jeremy? Get this yeah. shit together, okay? We need to make a move with y'all too. Um, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Um, so in terms of that process, now, as you mentioned, working with with Justin, you brought your you know, you brought this concert to him with, you know, Tamale. So like, mm-hmm. so what do you do? Like, what's, what's, how do you get into that space? Do you live, do you write? Do you watch references? What's your mm-hmm. process of ideating, brainstorming when you collaborate with directors? I feel really strongly about certain shots and films. Like if there's a top shot that I really love or like car rig shots blow my mind every time. I'm like, how did they do this? Like what, where was the camera, you know? And I save these <clears throat> and I put them on a mood board or I bookmark them. I use bookmarks a lot on my on my uh, browser. So like I have all these different categories and I go into them and I save a lot of stuff off of Vimeo too. And just, they're just moments. Maybe it's just like a tiny, tiny moment that inspires me or something from a book that inspires me too. Um, I read a lot of books. So like I love to like recreate moments or like a feeling from a book as well. Um, my interpretation of it. But uh, looking at images is super important for me. So I'm constantly on like Pinterest, uh, like pinning stuff and creating all these different mood boards. Okay, this is what I would imagine to be like a front shot of me sitting down at a place. Like this is the mood that I would imagine for this shot. Or um, if I'm imagining something that's like in a car, then I have all these references for like different angles or like different things that I imagine taking place or actions and you never know what can inspire you, honestly. Like, it can come from anywhere, but just making sure of building that habit of saving it, I think was the biggest thing for me. Because sometimes we just let it slip by and we don't really pay attention to, like, the energy that an image can convey or, like, some a word can convey. But it's so important to, like, sense that in yourself and be like, yo, let me stand here for a second with this because I feel something. And it's 
with so much information going on right now, like Instagram and like, you know, TikTok, like things are just becoming really like information overload. So when I really like something, if I know instinctively, I'm like, okay, I'm going to save this. I'm going to download this. And then it's just on my phone. And I always just go back and I'm like, okay, what have I been feeling over the last month? And uh, staying in tune with that is really important for me. With your new EP, you put out a a handful of videos for that. And I noticed either you were the director or Mm -hmm. Mm co-director. And there was kind of a theme where they were very simple yeah. Um, minimal, but really well done. So wondering if you could walk us through how you approached um, all the visuals for this new project. Mm-hmm. I think that this new project was the most special for me in the sense that I feel like the, the, the songs really merged with the videos in a way that I felt um, very, very much involved. Like for Puddle specifically, like after I wrote that song, I was like, I know that this song has to do with the Puddle and I want to make it the most simple concept possible. And it was actually from the photo shoot for the cover of the the EP that inspired um, that Puddle's uh, concept. So the photographer, um, JF, Suave. Uh, I really love Shout out yeah, Jean-Francois, super sick photographer and director. Um, so we we did this photo shoot and he brought this plexiglass and I just didn't know that it could support my weight. And I just remember thinking, this is really sick. And I loved the feeling that I got from that photo shoot. And I knew that I wanted to use it um, for puddles when the song actually ended up being made and like finished. I was like, if I have to think of a concept to connect back with the album artwork, then it would be this. And for... Nothing much has changed. I just felt like when I listened to the intro, like the the first few keys, I just thought to myself, I have to be walking down a Montreal alleyway because it's some of my favorite places on earth. Like there's nothing like a Montreal alleyway. It's so strange, but there's all <laughs> these alleyways in Montreal full of mm-hmm. lush vines and you're just like biking through them. And you can do that for an entire day. Just like all these cool places. Um, so I ended up like finding my favorite one and I was like, okay, we're just going to follow me walking down this. And, um, I wanted it to just be a super simple look back and just saying two lines, two of my favorite lines off the record. And I'm really proud of that video. I really, really love that video. I feel like there's something simple about it that just makes me feel like the end of summer. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, I feel like I captured like that nostalgic feeling that Montreal gives me when all the leaves are about to turn yellow. So I love that like Jeremy was really, really collaborative for this one and was like, I'm going to let you just fully, you know, brainstorm these and I'm just going to help out. He was really like, I just want to take on a helping role here. And it was just super nice of him. And I couldn't have asked for a better partner because he really understood what shots I would have liked. So we had very limited amounts of time for KLFG and Puddles and he really just elevated the project completely. Like the the ladybug, for example, it was um, it was a concept that uh, Will Studios shout out Will Studios, Eric and Raul. Eric, um, yeah, you know them. They're so nice, the sickest yeah. dudes. One of our go tos. <clears throat> yeah. So when we were brainstorming some concepts for uh, this project, uh, Raul just brought up this ladybug idea, and he had a photo of a ladybug, and I was like, what if the ladybug was all over my face and that's just like the concept. And the sunflowers actually just ended up uh, being a part of the concept because we walked uh, by this field 
of sunflowers. And we were like, why? this is so beautiful. Why don't we use this, you know? And the concept just kind of developed organically. Like it wasn't totally planned until after it was shot. Like we were like, okay, these flowers are going to get trippy. It was a very explorative video for that one. Kind of took a life of its own. But the ladybug was um, was definitely, I felt like, a unique take on the concept, like the, the lyrics of the of the track, uh, an interactive way to just like, you know, convey something, but not necessarily say the thing that I'm saying in the song. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, it's awesome. And and again, um, to echo Dean's sentiment, the the simplicity of it. I don't know, man. For me, it's like I love I love it because you really tune in more to what's going on with you. That record was made during COVID. Like I was supposed to go on tour and I was doing my first festival in March and then I had to come back in quarantine. And I felt this rush of adrenaline like, okay, I was about to go on tour and now I'm stuck at home. So I have this opportunity suddenly to just make all this music. And I just got real busy and I was like, I'm just going to make a lot of music. And I walked out of it with songs that I really loved. And it felt like I was literally texting, like I was texting Eric and Raul. Um, I sent Raul the project and I was like, yeah, I think I might be releasing this. And he just like really loved it. And it felt like a labor of love between friends. Like I showed Jeremy, I showed my managers, like, why don't we just release something? And everything came together so organically, like the videos as well. It just felt like, and I went in the credits that that I made like for, on Instagram. I was like, this was really just a bunch of friends that like encouraged me to release this. And I didn't think that I would release anything uh, this year because I was supposed to go on tour. So uh, it really felt like a special project in that sense because I didn't know that it was going to happen. And uh, everyone just came together and like contributed little pieces of ideas. It felt like this mosaic of a very strange time. What I didn't know would be a strange time <laughs> turned out to be a really strange time. As we all know, it, it has impacted us in so many different ways. Um, as an artist, you know, it's one thing being in the studio. It's another thing being on set shooting your music video. But for you, you know, the live, the, the live element of it is the big, big part of your artistry. As you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the the connectivity um, of YouTube when you make something and people react. If it's from the covers, now even to your music videos where you see the responses in the comments and you just, just you feel there's that thing. But when you're doing live, as you know, that, 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 that engagement is a whole different kind of high, right? The cheering, the clapping, the silence, the giggle, yeah. you know what I mean? You, you're looking into people's eyes like, how does it feel not having that that energy now? And 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 has that in any way hindered your creativity, or has it, you know, like to, to, you know, in the in the in the analogy of when a blind person can't see anymore, it heightens his hearing. Has it somehow um, heightened certain things for you in terms of things that you can't do live? I'm I'm curious to know about that. Man, this has been a learning year for sure. I, I know one thing for sure, I was n I'm never taking a live show for granted. I'm never taking that feeling for granted, I hope. Like this this feeling that I've had of missing it, I'm going to treasure it for a long time. Um, just because 
I, f- I hadn't been on tour for three years. So I was about to go on the road again for the first time. And I think I ramped things up in my mind. And I was really looking forward to it. So it was an interesting experience to go through plans being undone and like accepting that. And nothing much has changed became this project that I think kind of silenced that voice inside of me. I was like, we're good. Like we're going to go on tour real soon. And you're just making music now and it's all going to be good. And as things like stretched on and on, I really went through it. Like the the first stage of, of my career, like go, going away from covers into originals, there was a, a detachment I had to make from getting that constant feedback from people because I was uploading regularly. And there's definitely something chemical that goes on when you see feedback, when you see comments and you, you get excited, you release a video. So I had to go through that phase. And then after doing my originals, I was putting out a bunch of music videos and I was like, okay, let me really get into what I want to tap into in the music industry, which is like, you know, put care into my content, make great songs, become a better songwriter and uh, put care into the visuals. And I hadn't done that um, in a minute before nothing much has changed. It just felt like there was a, a little bit of a gap. But then now with no live shows and working on a new project, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like work towards an album now. Um, not getting like any exterior validation. Like there's no live mm. shows. There's a uh, very limited studio sessions because, you know, things happen, can't really like congregate with people at all. So mm-hmm. it's just been me and myself in the most realist sense. And I was actually talking to Amir about it uh, the other day, but I was just telling him that I've had to learn how to, if everything is stripped away, where did I start making music from? Like, why did I start doing it? And I had to go back to that feeling of being that 14-year-old girl that just loved to play her guitar and lose time. Like, time completely warps when it's just me and music. And I process life and feelings. And tapping back into that was beautiful but painful too. Because it's an uncertainty as well kind of get used to this idea of like making these plans and in the music industry it's go 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 like it's like especially now with streaming you have to be releasing you have to be staying engaged and all these things all this like I I think just pressure that I was putting on myself to to be productive and and busy and there was a real burnout feeling in December where I was like I just need to sit still right now and figure out what I'm feeling and that's what I've basically done from December to February, I just, I couldn't really even connect with music in a real way because I was trying to figure out where does this, where does this come from? If I have nothing to validate me, can I do that for myself? And it's been a meaningful place to sit in for a second. And I just finished working on something real special with you guys where I had the opportunity to play with a band. And I'm not kidding, I was buzzing from rehearsal, like just from the sheer vibrations of the drums and being able to hear like the Wurlitzer next to me. I was so emotional when I came back home. I was like, oh my God, this is the feeling. This is the feeling that I love being in a room full of musicians. And this wasn't even with an audience yet. So like, I can't imagine the catharsis I'm gonna have when I play like my first live show again. I'm just, <laughs> like, I'm just, my mind's gonna be blown. Like, this is gonna be crazy. That's crazy. And just so you know, fans, we can't really tell you what we got going on, but we got this, Incredible, incredible, incredible secret project coming out. 
and uh, you won't miss it. You, you got to see it. And I, I can't tell you when and where, but <laughs> it's going to be something super special. And um, to your point, Danielle, it's, it's crazy, man. And I, I see it all the time, um, speaking to other artists. And, you know, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing, man, not able to connect with the people that, um, that feed you and fuel you, inspire you. And, 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 yeah. and, and uh, it's, it's just weird not to have that, that connection and uh, trying to figure out how to still maintain that that excitement and and, and creativity, and which leads me to, uh, and you mentioned it throughout the conversation about uh, the things that keep you inspired and trigger you from you know reading books and you know writing. But what are other things outside of reading books and and you know writing music that keep you? inspired and keep you or and also just keep your creative uh mojo i really really love talking to my friends and having really honest conversation about what's going on in our lives but building each other up you know um i take a lot from those conversations especially with my friends and with my family too like i call my family constantly and not just because of covid i, I don't know if that's just a thing in some latin families but like my mom's calling me every day and she's like, what'd you eat? Like, what are you doing? You know, where are you going? And it's just like a 15 minute phone call. But now it's, they're a little longer and I have been asking a lot of questions. But um, those things keep me really fueled and they nourish me a lot. Especially when it's like people you feel you can really go there with. You know, have these real conversations and say, I'm struggling right now. Or I'm feeling really good right now. Like, we just need to gas each other up for no reason. You know, things like that really help with my writing process especially during a time like right now, you know, to stay connected and feel like there's a lot of genuine emotion being exchanged. Um, but I honestly, I really love to to do like long runs and I feel I find them really meditative. So I do that. And um, I also really love to cook. Like it's really like therapeutic for me. <laughs> I love to just take my time with my meals and I don't know, like nourish my body in the right way. I think that like it keeps things aligned for me, you know, when I'm taking care of myself. What are we I cooking? feel more connected. Um, well, I'm vegetarian, so lots of good veggie stuff. Uh, I really <laughs> love to make veggie. I love to make vegetarian ramen. Um, there's this sick instant ramen at a grocery store that I just like turned into something really delicious. It costs like $1.99, but I garnish the shit out of it and it's delicious. <laughs> the most delicious cheat meal, honestly. Um, yeah, things like that definitely keep me like, in tune and aligned with like being able to just like access a place where I can write from. I just have to be honest. When I'm writing, I have to be coming from an honest place. So if I can't tap into it, like with my breath, like especially with singing and stuff, like my diaphragm, if I'm not feeling strong in my core, if I'm not feeling like aligned up here, you know, not engaged with like the people that I care about, then I find it a little bit more difficult to like feel connected to art. Yeah. Since we're on the topic of art, you collaborated with a handful of directors. Are there any other directors out there that you would be like, wow, like I love his or her work that I would die, that you would die to work with? Like, you know, for me, if I was, you know, if I was an artist, I would be like, shit, I need a video from Spike Jones. You know, like just on a wish list of wish lists. Like, is there directors out there that you see their work 
uh, out there now that you're really blown away? Or has have you seen a music video that has made you turn your head like, holy shit, who did that? How did they do that? Ooh. Yo, I think Paul Thomas Anderson has the most special way of making me feel pain or stress. Um, or <laughs> Stress. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think it would be so cool to make a, a video that just like ramps up in stress with Paul Thomas Anderson. Like a story that's just like, wait, where is this going? And then just leaving you completely shook at the end. Would, that <laughs> would be the most dream collaboration. Yeah. But um, I think Punch Drunk Love is the, the original Uncut Gems. That opening shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Adam Sandler killed it. Um, I also really love Canada. They made stunning music videos for Rosalia that I think mm-hmm. I go back to and still feel goosebumps because the the fact that they were able to merge, like you were saying, the music and the video fit like a glove. Like nobody else could have done it quite like that. So Canada is definitely at the top of my list for sure. And as far as a music video that I've seen lately, that's… Uh, oh my gosh, there's so many… I've been really well, loving music this artist. Video, short film, something, mm. something not a not a TV or a movie that that you found really music dope. Music video or short. Okay, there's this um, there's this short film on video on Vimeo. Um, it's under the category of like women behind the lens. I can't remember the title of it right now, but it's just a girl moving her bed up a staircase for eight minutes, and I thought it was like such a well done. Uh, expression of how difficult it is. You don't know what's even going on with the character. There's no dialogue. <laughs> She's just like moving the mattress up and she has like a moment of frustration. And I don't know why, but it stuck with me so hard. Like it felt like she was going through something painful or something cathartic moving her mattress up. I thought it was really, really well done. But I wanted to tell you guys about this other… Actually, when I was thinking about short film and music video, there's this artist named I'm Yeek or Yeek. He released an album called Valencia. Uh, a couple weeks ago. He released a short film along with it, but like these interconnecting music videos too. And yeah, definitely I was trying to remember uh, what it was called, but that stuck with me a lot. Yeek? How, how do you spell yeah. that? Y-E-E-K. Yeek. We got to check that out. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's going to be She's, my tonight. Yeah. Yes. Please tell me what you think about it. It's, it's, I, I really love that album. It's really sick. Uh, but again, it's one of those things where I feel like it's to- it's totally worth it to create a world for your audience because you have all these things like access at your fingertips, right? To to do those things for people now with YouTube, with all these platforms. And I think Childish Gambino was, was a huge inspiration when because of the internet, like the rollout of that was so powerful and so inspiring. And I think he kind of like set the stage for, you know, how far you can go with it, like these little Easter eggs on his website. Like that's so cool, you know. Then people actually like go in and invest themselves into the things that you release, you know. So taking that effort to like really immerse them in the entire brand or world that you're creating for that record is is really, really cool. It's amazing. Yeah. Daniela, well, I just want to say, man, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and your process and your journey. It was most definitely humbling to hear this full circle of how you came about and your influences from your family to your partner 
and to now where you're at today and the fact that you continue pushing and striving and evolving as an artist but still really going in with the visuals and and doing your homework man like and and i respect that so much thank you so much thank you so much really appreciated this talk it was really fun thank you so much and that's all folks thank you daniela for giving us that amazing amazing um conversation you're so brilliant and uh, I love your music big fan and again your mind is so amazing uh, I love your dedication to the visual arts man um, big fan big fan um, and to that I wanted to find something that fits her vibe as a awesome visionary um, artist so the film I'm gonna recommend today um, is uh, a film that uh, Pedro um, Almodovar uh, directed. It's called The Skin I Live In. It came out in 2011, and this film is awesome, man. And it's about a, a plastic surgeon uh, that creates this uh, synthetic skin that withstands any kind of damage. And, man, I, I don't want to go past that because the film just opens up this whole uh, door of like madness but uh, it's a wild ride man it's 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 a beautiful film and uh, you're gonna love it okay so remember the skin I live in uh, director is Pedro um, Almodovar and it stars um, Antonio Banderos and uh, it's an incredible film it's just out of here it's so original there's nothing you've seen like this and it's just gonna it's gonna really like uh, turn you upside down when you check it out um, now if you like this episode please feel free to give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen as always you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Architects Pod now you can also message us if there's someone that you want to, you know, hear on the show. Okay. Architects is created by Fella and produced in partnership with Curious Cast. Our theme music and audio production are by Oso Audio. See you next time. Peace. Peace.